Genesis chapter 3, we saw a bunch of firsts, and we're going to see more firsts tonight. Of course, you'd expect that going through the book of Genesis, but we see the, the, we've seen the first man and, and first woman there in Genesis chapter 3, the first command given them, the first sin, the first curse, the first death. And uh, that Genesis 3 was so good and so important for you to understand how sin came into the world. The doctrine of sin is founded in Genesis chapter 3. We've studied that really in depth, and I hope that you've learned a lot. Um, the, the consequences of sin in our world, even today, let me illustrate that before I pray tonight. I just want to illustrate the, the consequences of sin in the world. You remember back in the 90s, I think it was the late 90s. Maybe it was the early 90s, but the, we had this uh, devastating uh, threat in California to all of the crops uh, in California. Remember the, the Mediterranean fruit fly? Do you remember that? Um, I, I just remember how devastating that was. And the problem was that the fruit fly, it multiplied so quickly that it threatened really the, all of the uh, crops that we grow and export to many other states here in, in California. And the, the fruit fly was multiplying. And so the state, the governor, I think the militia, everybody's out to after the poor fruit, fruit fly. You remember that? I mean, it was a, it was a real, real big deal. I, I just remember covering my car because there were planes and helicopters from Vietnam, you know, the Hueys flying over, wop, 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 wop at nighttime, spraying. Again, it, it, the, the effect of the fruit fly was, was really, this is what it did. The fruit fly was interesting. Lays its larva in the blossom, and then when the fruit develops around the larva, the larva would then grow into a worm and then eat its way out from the inside. And there's a really great illustration there of sin. We've been talking about sin in Genesis chapter 3. Sin begins on the inside of man. It's on the inside. It's not on the outside. It's not somebody else. It's not the devil that made you do it. It's not this. It's not that. You sin. James talks about when uh, sin and lust and how we can't have and we want. And, and we really are responsible for sin, just like the Mediterranean fruit fly. And, and there was, a, again, an all-out effort to eradicate it. And I believe that when you recognize sin, Christian, when you recognize sin in your life, you've got you to gotta go after it. You've got to deal with it now. You have to deal with it quickly. You have to deal with it effectively, just like they did back in, in the 90s. If you don't know about that, Google that. You'll, you'll find out what I'm talking about. We covered our cars because all that spray and all that stuff. Sin, if you let it go, it's going to spread. It's going to cause all kinds of problems. In chapter 4 tonight, we continue in this list of firsts, the first family here. We have the first person born, the first person born. We're going to see that tonight in this text. The first murder. This is the story of Cain and Abel. I've entitled it, The Way of Cain. You've heard that. You probably know some thoughts about that. You have some ideas about that. But that's what we're going to study. So let's pray and we'll read beginning in verse 1. Father, I thank you for the text tonight. I pray that you would really help us to understand uh, how sin came into the world, chapter 3. But then this chapter, how it affected this unrepentant man, Cain, and all that he represents in the way of Cain. I pray that we as Christians would really understand and embrace this truth so that we could deal with sin quickly and not just let it go, and that we would do everything that we can, Lord, to eradicate sin in our lives. So teach us as we read your word now. Show us in Jesus, we pray. Amen. So chapter 4, verse 1, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And then she bore again, this time his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was the tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought a firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance 
fell. So let's, let's start here with this. This is the birth of Cain. We have, again, the first birth and the first family here, the first brother Abel, the first sibling rivalry right here, the first crime against an individual, another person. And then the first false worship, this really, this section really uh, encompasses that. Lots of firsts here. But I believe the main theme of this section, and we're going to look really quickly, I'm going to go as fast as I can tonight, all the way down to verse 16, because that's really the story that we're going to see here. Um, What God is showing you and I in this text is the first unbeliever, the first unrepentant person. Cain, throughout this story, is unrepentant, and I, I want you to see that or hear that. He's an unrepentant person, so we can really learn a lot from looking at Cain. Cain is notorious in the New Testament. There's many verses written about him. Let me show you real quickly. 1 John 3, and I'll bring us back to this, but it says, Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. So there you have the difference between the two. That's 1 John. And then Jude 1, look at Jude 1 real quick, says, Jude 1, verse 11, here we come. Is it up there? It's not up there. There it is. Jude 1, verse 11. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. In the way of Cain. So the way of Cain is something that's in the scriptures, it's always seen in a negative reference. Cain, in any of his, uh, whenever, they, whenever the scriptures refer to him, it's always in a negative way. In Jude, the reference is to false teachers or liars. So false teachers, liars, unrepentant, uh, those would all be classified as Cain or the way of Cain there. Now, because we just studied Genesis chapter 3, we finished last week with with, uh, Adam and Eve being covered by God. They were covered because they willfully, deliberately sinned. They disobeyed God. They ate of the forbidden fruit. And then God pronounced a curse on them. Remember women, what it was? The curse on women is pain, and it involves children, not only childbirth, but your desire for your children and how you want them to go in one direction and they go another and how much pain and suffering it brings in your heart and life. And then secondly, women, that you would want to rule in your house. You want to to rule there. That's the curse. And then the man was cursed. The ground was cursed. So, So no longer could Adam walk around and just pick his food and off the trees and enjoy life. He now had to work hard and till and soil and, I mean, toil. He had to work hard in the soil for all of his sustenance. Couldn't go pick it. Now he had to work hard, and it wasn't going to come easy anymore. That was the curse. And also, the other part of his curse was his desire to dominate his wife. So there you have this confrontation between husband and wife right there. In the, for that's part of the curse. And then after the curse, God immediately steps in. With, with the truth about his grace in redemption, redemption. And that was where God atoned for the sin of his creation, Adam and Eve. He created them. He loved them. They had sinned. They had fallen. And he goes to them, and he, he immediately covers them. He slaughters an animal. And I, I remember going into that, and some of you have asked the question, you know, how do you know that he slaughtered an animal. Well, the scripture says he covered him with skins. We know he slaughtered the animal, but the interesting thought would be that he slaughtered the animal in front of them. This is the first time that they have seen death. They didn't know what die meant. What is death? God said they die, but what is it? They hadn't experienced it. So they're, they're standing there. God has cursed them, and then God redeems them by killing an innocent animal right in front of them, blood. Can you imagine? And then he takes the skins and he covers their bodies, covering their sin. It's a symbol of them being covered because they were now atoned for. This innocent animal had to die. They were atoned for. That's a picture of, remember, it's a picture of Jesus. When he would come 4,000 years later, Jesus was going to come. And he's the innocent. He died once and for all for Adam and Eve and us. He had to die for them and all of those that lived during the Old Testament time. So this was God's plan, his wonderful plan of redemption. We've looked at that. Now here we come to Genesis chapter 4. And we have the first people, and they've been atoned for. Adam and Eve have already been atoned for. They've been 
but they've been kicked out of the garden. And they have their firstborn child. His name is Cain. And he's born in sin. You have to get that idea. They were created perfectly, right? Adam and Eve were created perfectly in a perfect place. They were kicked out of the garden. And then they're going to have this their son, their firstborn son, and he is born in sin. And because Cain is born in sin, it's in contrast to his parents that were created in the image of God in a perfect place. They have already repented, obviously, and their sin was atoned for in that sacrifice God made. That's already, they've already been taken care of. But now they're going to have children, and each one of their children have to come to Christ, just like your kids and my children have to come to Christ. But if they're like Cain and unrepentant, they're, they're going to live a different kind of life. And so this is really a picture of an unrepentant sinner here. Cain is the first person born in sin. And, and I, I really want you to catch this. Uh, Adam and Eve, they're, they're thrust out of the garden. They're, they're in pain. They're in, now we have to work. They're sweating. It's hard. It, it's not easy and light and lovely anymore. And, and now she births this firstborn. And, and I think that when that happened, in verse 1 here, there's a brand new hope in their hearts because there's a new beginning. So I've entitled this first section here, Hope in a New Beginning. Again, look at verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. That word new there just meaning, well, it, they're not having a casual relationship. You understand what that means. I love the way the Bible is discreet. And the reason I, I say, call this hope and a new beginning is, again, at the end of chapter 3, look, look back there at verse 24 with me. Look at verse 24, chapter 3. God drives out man. He drove out man, and he placed a cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. So God is, has driven out Adam and Eve out of the garden because of their sin. And now they have to work the ground for food. Their lives before were perfect. They were easy before they sinned. But now their lives are filled with sweat and toil and effort. And the days of walking with the Lord in the cool of the garden, they're gone. They're not walking with the Lord every day anymore. They have to do certain things and they have to worship God. And this is where religion is kind of coming into the picture. They have to pursue God in a way and they're going to do it in different ways. And Cain does it wrong. Abel does it right. Again, you know a lot of this story. But the reason I say that there's hope now and a new beginning, because when they got kicked out of the garden, can you imagine feeling hopeless? What are we going to do now? What's happening now? What, are, what have we done? And every day, every, every time they have to you know, hoe a weed or or dig a furrow to water a, a plant. They're just like, oh, what did I do? My sin, look what my sin has done to me. I mean, they're feeling, they're understanding. But suddenly, suddenly everything changes with the conception and the birth of their first born there. This is, the, the illustration is, is that a, a, a child, when a child is born, it's really one of the greatest moments of any couple's lives. I, I mean, I've experienced that five times in, in our family. And I, my sons right now, I have two of my sons are, uh, my daughter-in-laws are pregnant, so we're looking forward here in, in the fall of having two new boys added to our fellowship. Last week, we had two big boys born into this fellowship. Our, see, our fellowship's growing. All these, all these babies. I actually have a picture, and I, I didn't send it down soon enough. It's in, in my mail. You could probably look it up and, and put it up for me if, if you have time. I, I just sent it down really quick this evening. But I have a picture of them. But we have, we have uh, Elias Josiah Harris, which was born, I think, Friday to Jeff and Michelle. And then uh, David Trotter, our sound man, he runs our technical department here at the church. He's obviously not here, but he has a new son, James. James Robert Trotter, he was nine pounds, six ounces, big 22-incher uh, to little Megan. You know, I, I love that. But two boys there. And then in addition to Jeremiah, and I don't see him tonight, he's not here, Jeremiah Elbit Jelly and Liam. So we have all these boys born. We'll have seven boys born by, by uh, October this year. 
all these new little boys, we're going to do some blue in the nursery and do something special for these new little lives. But the, the idea here, and what I want you to catch is when a baby is born, we all enjoy that, don't we? It's a rejoicing time. There's Liam's dad back there with a big old grin on his face. <laughs> it's, it's just a rejoicing. I just remember, I remember every one of my children being born. I remember how big they were. I remember how painful it was for Esther, not for me, but for her. I just remember, but it was such a, oh, it was awesome. We look forward, look forward, look forward, and the baby's born, and it's just joy and happiness and future and hope and all those things. So Adam and Eve, they come out of chapter 3, kicked out of the garden, toiling, working, sweating, um, arguing, contention between husband and wife. They didn't have it in the garden. Now they had it. And then they have new hope because the birth of this baby. That's the stark contrast between these two chapters. The effect of sin and toil and all those things have uh, taken their toll. And yet there's a new child uh, born here. So when their first boy was born, Eve gave him a name. Here's the name, Cain. We have Cain and Abel there. But uh, verse 1 could be translated this. You could translate the end of verse 1. I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. She named him Cain, um, the way of Cain, the land of Canaan. There's a lot. We're going to hear his name a lot here. The people of Cain, very interesting uh, nomadic people that can't grow anything in the ground. They're just nomads. They just kind of wander around with sheep. The people of Cain, we're going to see that. But Eve names her firstborn son acquired, is what you may see in in your uh, Bible there. New King James uh, is is acquired. And we see that word again and again in the Old Testament. But, But she's acquired something, and so she names him I have acquired something that God has given to me here. That's really what she's saying. God and me, we've done this, you know, came from my body, but it's God, and I've acquired. And so after she gets kicked out of the garden, she now has some hope. She has a gift from God. She has a new life, a new beginning. And just as a side note, the Bible always teaches that all human life comes from God. That it's not just a biological happening. That within every living baby, irregardless of how it was conceived, has a living soul that God has placed within that that being. And and God gives life. And we we need to protect life with all that's in us, church. Christians, we need to stand up for life. We need to support the the Pregnancy Counseling Center as we do. We need to vote for those that protect life. It's very important for you and I. God created life, and we want to stand with God. If you want to be on the opposite side of the fence from God, then you vote against life, and you vote pro-abortion. If you do that, you're against God. There is absolutely no doubt in my mind what the Scripture says. You're against God. So get on God's side when it comes to voting. But here's, here's the thing. God gives life. Life is a miracle. Eve names this first life Cain. I, I, I acquired or, or God and I working together. Look what I got. I got this man from, from God. And then they named their next son Abel. His name is really interesting. It means breath or vapor, or some have translated that perishable. And, and Abel's name really speaks of his life prophetically. He's only going to have a brief life. It's going to be a breath. Like, the Word of God says that your life is just a vapor. It's just, just here, like a you breathe out, and it's gone that fast. That's what the Bible says. That's the length of your life. Some of you think, man, my life is so long, it's hard. The Bible says it comes quickly and goes quickly. And I, I truly believe the older I get, the, the more I, I see that and understand that. But able means perishable. So the, here we have these two boys. They're going to grow up together. Same home, same parents, same instruction, same things. But they're very, very different. Very different. Verse 2, the end of verse 2 tells us about their differences It says, she bore again Abel, and look at verse 2. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep. Cain was a tiller of the ground. So both boys are going to work 
hard and, and sweat to provide for the family. They've got to do work. Cain's a farmer. Abel's a shepherd. And both jobs are important. Both are honorable. You either had to do one or the other, right? You've got to grow animals or grow food. I mean, you have to do something to sustain the family. So, so it's not a matter of what they do. And I read a lot of commentaries. Some people say, you see, the one's less than the other, you know. A farmer's more honorable than a shepherd, but that's not really true at all. And, and I, I, you know, think about David. What was he? Greatest, he was shepherd, his greatest king Israel ever had. So uh, and, uh, Jesus, we see Jesus as a farmer sowing seed, right? So there's all kinds of depictions in Scripture. I don't think you can make that claim in the Scriptures here about one being better. They're both good. They're both important. They both have a positive end because it, the truth is here, what's important is the character of the individual. They both have everything the same, but there's the major character difference in Cain and in Abel, and their true character comes out at an early age. We don't know how old they were when this happened. There's no, in, uh, no discussion, no uh, idea in the Scripture about when or how old they were. I don't even want to guess. We don't know if we're 15 or 150. It doesn't say here. But they were old enough to be independent. They were old enough to do this hard labor. So whatever age that is. And then now their character is going to be revealed in this story. And it's revealed through worship. This is really interesting. Notice in my next point, acceptable and unacceptable worship. That's what we're going to see here. Look at verse 3. In the process of time, it came to pass that came brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected, or he liked Abel's offering, but he didn't respect, he didn't like Cain and his offering. Now, before we look at the difference in the offerings here, again, I want you to see that their offering to the Lord here why they even offered anything to the Lord is, is kind of an interesting question. Why did they do that? Why would they offer something to the Lord? Either Adam and Eve, their parents, taught them that this was important to reach up to God because God used to walk with them in the cool of the morning, but now that they've been thrown out of the garden, maybe Adam and Eve had this new way of approaching God, you know, with their covering and all. And so they taught their kids, you know, you've got to approach God respectfully. You have to go to God with honor. And so we're not really sure. I believe God taught them. They're obviously their parents taught them some things. Um, Adam and Eve knew, obviously, what their sin had caused, and they were living it out daily. So they, they wanted to get closer to God, so they probably taught their kids how to get closer to the Lord. So you have to offer something to him. And Adam must have... Talk to him when he sat down for dinner, just like we do with our kids. You know, you, you sit down with them, you take them, you ride in the car, and you're telling them about God. You, you're teaching them things. And can you imagine what Adam used to say? Man, man, in the garden, you should have seen those trees in the garden. You should have seen the, the fruit in the garden. It was massive. Telling his sons all about those kind of things. And Eve, Eve was talking to her sons about all the things that were in the, in the garden as well and that they had sinned and that they gave it all away and it was their fault and, and now you have to have this relationship with God where you bring something to him. All that God will accept really is a sacrifice of, of yours and so they knew something about a sacrifice. And God, as you remember in chapter 3, he slaughtered an innocent animal to cover them. And I believe, again, as I said, I, I believe he did it right in front of Adam and Eve. And, they, and that, that death of that innocent animal atoned or paid the price for their sin. And so I, I think that happened, and they saw that. And so it was such a graphic lesson for them. They'd never forget it. And, and so they know that God is going to be worshipped a certain way. They know how God wants to be worshipped. So I believe that Cain... We're given instruction here. I don't know exactly how it happened, but their parents told them, God showed them. And so Cain grows up and becomes a farmer. And he goes out into the fields and one day harvests a bunch of crops and he puts together an offering. And this is his act of worship. He just grabs a little wheat, he gets a little corn, whatever it might have been. He throws it all together and he just kind of burns it up, right, for the Lord. And the Lord decides 
that Cain's offering is unacceptable. Now, God can see the heart and God can see the offering. God knows all things, but God doesn't accept. And so the question is, why? Why didn't God accept Cain's offering? Some people believe that it was because it didn't have blood and that, that you had to slaughter an innocent animal and there had to be blood and then God would accept it. But I don't really believe that because if you read Leviticus, if you read Leviticus 1, there's the blood of the bull. And then Leviticus chapter 2, again, it's a wonderful book. I read that book uh, at least twice to my boys because boys like blood and guts and all that stuff. It was fun. I, I really enjoyed teaching Leviticus to them and, and pointed them to God who's done all this for us and it was important. We don't have to do it anymore because Jesus was our sacrifice. But, but Leviticus, when you read it, you'll see that there were grain offerings and those grain offerings were acceptable. In fact, look at this verse. I'll just put the little portion of it here, Leviticus 2. You can go back and read it if you want. A sweet, the grain offering was a sweet aroma to the Lord. So the, it was pleasant to the Lord. It was acceptable to the Lord. So grain offerings were acceptable. Blood offerings were acceptable. Only blood offerings could remit sin, and we see that all through the scriptures. But the point here is that a grain offering would have been acceptable. Cain was a farmer. He, was, he should have brought his best. He should have brought his first to them. But it wasn't the content of the offering that God rejected. It was the person and the way that Cain was offering the offering. It was the way he did it. We're told that Cain brought whatever he could grab there. It says in verse 3, Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. He just kind of grabbed it and brought it to the Lord. He brought whatever he could grab, scrape together, the second best, whatever he could find. Oh, I got to do this again. Mom, kept, mom keeps saying, did you do the offering? Did you do the offering? Okay, I'll go do it. Okay, scrape it. That's the picture that I see when I read this. I, I have to do this, so I'll just do it. Just a religious work, just going through the motions, and there's no, there's no heart change. There's no, my sin causes me to do this. He just scrapes together these things and, and offers them. It's his second best. He didn't really care about his offering or worshiping God. He didn't care. There's no inference to that at all. Cain and Abel knew that God wanted the best. Cain's offering was not the first of this crop. It just says he brought the fruit of the ground. And that's the difference here. When we move into Abel's offering, we'll see it's the first fruits, it's the best. So Cain's offering was just second best here. And the contrast in verse 4, Abel brought the firstborn of his flock. He, he brought the best there. Firstborn suggests the best. When you look at that word uh, in the Hebrew, that phrase there, of the fat thereof, speaks of his preparation. So he didn't just scrape together and grab this and grab that and just say, okay, I'm, I'm going to do my time. I'm going to go to church and just do my time and I'll be good. Paid my fire insurance bill for the week. What he does is he picks the best and he brings the best before the Lord and he prepares it just the way the Lord wants it prepared. He comes with his heart ready. He comes with an acknowledgement of his sin. He comes with a repentant attitude, unlike Cain, just grabs it, whatever. That's the difference in the two here. Abel carefully selected the best animal he had. So Abel goes out of his way. He offers this offering. He wants to prepare it and please the Lord in everything he does. And here's what Hebrews 11.4 says. Look at this verse, Hebrews 11.4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. So again, this is another one of the New Testament scriptures that puts puts uh, Abel in a, in a better light than Cain, and Cain in the negative light. Abel's sacrifice reveals this. This is what it reveals, the condition of his heart, his attitude, his desire to please the Lord, his, his, his belief that he had to do this to please God, and, and that only in doing it he could be atoned for. He had to do it. But Cain, on the other hand, didn't really have that kind of respect for God or honor for God. He just kind of throws his offering together. 1 John 3.12 goes on to say Abel's 
works were righteous. I love this. Let me show you this, the long version here. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil. But his brothers were, notice, righteous. His brothers were good. They were righteous. Abel's heart was right. He brought his best. God accepted it. Cain, just brought whatever he could get, just the fruit of the ground. It wasn't the best fruit of the ground. It was just whatever he gathered off the ground. So no evidence of preparation, no evidence of commitment to bring his best to, to God. Cain's offering said, here's what I have today. Take it or leave it. Interesting, isn't it? Is that how you come to church? When you worship the Lord, is it... Is it just take it or leave it, God. Regardless of what is going on up here on stage, do you worship the Lord with all your heart? Do you come with an attitude, you know, I, I, I need to worship God. I need to connect with him in this way. Now, maybe you do that. You can do that in the car with, with praise music. You can do that on your own, just speaking words to the Lord. There's many ways to worship the Lord. You can do it by reading the word. But, but I'm just making this application tonight is, do you bring your best to the Lord? Do you come with a heart to worship God and, and serve him with gladness, be prepared with thought and, and to honor him? God rejected Cain and Cain's offering. That's what we see in this text here. And, and uh, Abel's offering was accepted because he gave his best, because he put his best foot forward. So think about that. Just keep that in mind. I've got an illustration here, the, the warning. God doesn't accept religious works. He doesn't accept things that we think are good. I'm going to do this because God is, I'm going to get some points on my belt for God because I'm going to do this good thing. I'm going to earn my way to, to the heart of God. You can't do it. It doesn't work. You, you, you can never save yourself. You can't attempt to get God's attention through doing good. It doesn't work that way. We come to God by faith alone. Here's the verse. You've seen it a million times, but I really want you to see it again tonight. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works. You can't work. You can't earn to get God's attention or favor. You come to God through faith alone. You, you're saved through faith in Jesus Christ alone, not works. So in our story tonight, Cain, Cain's careless offering is now rejected by God. My next point here, Cain is given a chance to repent. Notice verse 5. And Cain was very angry. And his countenance fell, the end of verse 5, verse 6. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? So God's looking at him. And so there's more than just an attitude of the heart. There's, there's some big body language going on here, big lip pouting or whatever you want to call it. His countenance has changed. He's angry. Verse 7, if you do well, God says, will you not be accepted? And if you do not, do well, sin lies at the door. And it's desirous for you, but you should rule over that temptation to sin. You should rule over that. That's what God's saying there. Now, this little phrase here, the, the countenance falling here, it means his whole demeanor changes. He was before God busted, you know, like, I got caught. And then God, God busts him, and then he just He's getting mad, and he's mad at God. He's mad at God. His countenance changes. That's what it's saying here uh, in this text. Everything changes, and, and I love the fact that God says to him, verse 7, if you do well, will you not be accepted? God's giving him a chance to repent right there. Uh, Cain, excuse me, if you choose to do the right thing right now, You'll be accepted. If you go back and, and do it right, come, come back in the room. Have you ever done that to your kids? You need to leave the room and come back in with the right attitude. If you go out and do it again, it's, it, things will be well with you. Everything is going to be okay. You, you have this opportunity to repent. That's what he's saying there. And, and I, I believe that's what he means. If you do well. 
So, so go back and, and make a right, proper sacrifice. Go back and honor me the way I want to be honored. And, and if you do that, number one, you'll be accepted. And number two, your anger is going to go away. You're going to deal with your anger in a positive way. God gives him an opportunity to repent. And then look at the end of verse 7. And if you do not do well, if you choose not to repent, if you choose not to do, sin lies at the door. And it's desirous for you. It's going to take over. It's going to control you. And then God says this, but you should rule over that. Rule over your anger. Rule over your objection. Rule over your, all the things that you're doing wrong. Rule over those things. That's what he's saying here. I, I see the picture, and I hope you see it too when you read verse 7. God is depicting sin as like a a raging animal, just at the door, ready to just whack your head off and, and tear you to shreds. That, that's the depiction right there. It's, sin is at the door. Deal with it now. Thus, the illustration I gave at the beginning with the fruit flies. You've got to deal aggressively with that. If you don't, they're going to take over and ruin all the crops. If you don't deal with sin quickly, it's going to take over. It's at the door. It's going to take over your life. That, that's what's being taught here. And I love, again, God's grace. God, in his, all of his grace here, he's giving the opportunity for Cain to repent. He says there, if you don't deal with it, it's going to rule over you. You should rule over it. Again, one of the commentators wrote this. He says, think about how sin begins. It begins with wrong thoughts, and if you let the wrong thoughts go on, it leads to wrong feelings, and then wrong feelings lead to wrong words, and wrong words lead to wrong actions, and wrong actions lead to wrong habits, and now you're in this cycle, endless cycle of sin. If you don't deal with it, that's the problem. Someone said this, sin is like an acorn from an oak tree that falls in the forest, Anyone, even a child, can just pick it up and deal with it. But if that acorn begins to grow and it becomes a sapling, you can still pull it out. But if you let it go and you let it grow and it becomes a large oak tree, it's going to take a lot of effort to get rid of that. That's what sin is like. It's at the door. It's going to take over. You've got to root it out. You've got to take care of it right away. Otherwise, it's going to take over. It's going to send its roots down, and, and it's, it's going to take an extreme amount of work to get it out. And I, I've seen that with some Christians. They, they've lived a life, and I don't, I don't, I, I'm not looking at anybody here. I'm talking to me too. But you live in sin, and you continue to live there. And you'll live there so long that it just starts to grow, and it overtakes you in a lot of different ways, feelings and emotions. And that sin, it just stays. You, you deal with it when it's little. Pick that acorn up and, and deal with that sin and root it out right away. That's really what, what we're learning here. And, and God gives him an opportunity. But Cain disobeys God's. And these last verses, that's what we're going to see. Are, we see in the text the outcome of sin in his life. Cain's life really does represent every sinner in this way. Let me show you this little quote that I pulled up. Let's go to that little, notice this. The condition of the heart determined the course of his life. Think about that. The condition of Cain's heart is what determined his lame, careless sacrifice. He didn't care. He wasn't trying to honor God. It was whatever. Mom told me to do it. I just do it. God, if you like it, whatever accepted or rejected, I could care less. That, that's the attitude he had, the condition of the heart. And so that's why Cain's offering was not accepted. It, was his, it came from the heart. It was his heart. It wasn't the offering per se. A lot of commentators make a big deal about the offering. I don't think it's the offering. I think it's all about his heart. And so my next point here, this unrepentant heart of Cain and his refusal to obey, Cain murders Abel. Notice verse 8. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. Doesn't that sound nice? Hey, bro, bro, come on out into the field. Like, I, I want to show you something. He just talked to his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. How did he kill him? Doesn't say here. I kind of get the idea that he slit his throat, kind of like the sacrifices 
God cut that animal's throat, I believe, in front of Adam and Eve. They saw that. They explained it to their kids. And now it could be. That we're not, I can't be dogmatic, and, and you could probably go all around this, but I, I really think this is how he killed him. He just cut his throat. The only way that Cain had ever seen anything die before was in that way because that's the way things died. It was in a sacrifice situation. So now he cuts his brother's throat. Why did he kill Abel? Jealousy. Abel had something Cain didn't have. God didn't accept his offering. He got mad and he took it out on his brother. How did he kill him? As I said, he cut his throat and Notice what God does here, and I love this. God confronts Cain, verse 9. He comes to him and confronts him, and he says, it says, Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, came to pass it when they were in... when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against his brother and killed him, verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said... I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Where have you heard that before? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. Like God didn't know. I mean, think about that. Like God didn't really know. He said, what have you done? Here's another opportunity. As God confronts him, here's another opportunity for him to say, I did it, I did it, I was wrong. But he doesn't do that. He said, what, what's, you know, I don't know where he's at. You find him, you look for him. Am I my brother's keeper? I mean, come on. I mean, just the, it, it just reeks of, of his voice and his demeanor and everything about it. He's mad, he's angry, and, and now it's all coming out right before the Lord. Cain is doing the same thing that his father did, if you get my drift there. Remember when Adam sinned? And God came to Adam in the cool of the garden and said, hey, Adam, what's going on? Adam, where are you? Adam, I can't find you. Where are you, Adam? And Like God doesn't know where he is. Adam, and Adam pops out from behind a bush with a silly leaf on. And what's, what's going on, Adam? And, well, I hid myself because I was naked. You know, and, and so the whole thing comes out. But God gives him an opportunity again and again to, to confess, but he doesn't do it. Same thing with his firstborn son, Cain. Cain does exactly the same thing. There's not one word of repentance here. And when God says, where is your brother? Cain's, he's arrogant. He's, I don't know. I don't know where he's at. Am I his keeper? Not one word of repentance. And then here in verse 11, God curses Cain here, God's curse on Cain, verse 11. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. There's the accusation there, condemnation. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. Here's his curse. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. Cain's curse was that he wouldn't be able to grow food. Now, think about that. He's a farmer. That's all he knows how to do. He's been doing that his whole life, but God says, you're not going to do that anymore. And remember the center, the center of Adam's world, the curse on him was instead of picking fruit and watching the garden, he was kicked out of the garden. Now he had to work for it. The woman, center of her world, children. Now it was just pain from children, childbirth and, and their future lives. Center of Cain's life, here's the, the curse on him. You're a farmer, now you're not going to be able to, you can dig, you can farm, you can try to water, and nothing's going to happen. You're not going to grow a thing. You're going to die if you try to farm. It won't work. You're going to be a fugitive and a vagabond, the end of verse 12 there, all of the days of your life. You'll never again be able to farm. So Cain, he has no resting place. He, he's going to be a, uh, this wanderer on the on, on the planet, in a, in a sense. We were in Israel just um, a few months ago. And when you're there in Israel, you, when you leave uh, Jerusalem and you go east down to the Dead Sea, you see these nomadic herdsmen, these shepherds and goats. There's hardly anything on the hillside to eat. And these, these goats can find something. It looks like it's all rocks and dirt. 
And these people, they're nomads. They just wander. They wander. They don't stay in one place. They just wander. And they're still there today. They, they even look like they, you know, had the same clothes that their great, 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 you know, thousand-year-old grandpappy had on. Very interesting. That they just, they look the same. They dress the same. But they're nomadic people. And that's, that's his curse here. He's not going to be able to stay in one place and farm the ground. Now he's going to be a nomad, a fugitive, a vagabond on the earth. And then Cain's complaint. Look, listen to this. This is whenever you get busted, when you, as a parent, you guys that have kids, when you bust your kids with, with, with truth, they're always going to come back at you like this. Notice his complaint. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. I just hear, you know, I, sometimes with, with my kids, Dad, oh, I don't deserve that. It's just, it's just funny to me, but that's, you get that. Sinners always do that. They, they blame shift. They, they don't want to receive the punishment that they're due, even though they know they did the wrong thing. He just killed his brother. My punishment is too great. Well, at least you'll have your life. I mean, and so he says, my punishment is greater than I can bear. And when we sin and we get a righteous judgment, and we often complain, God, that's not fair. And some of you, listen, and I don't, I'm not pointing my finger at anybody here. I'm going to close my eyes when I say it. Some of you in the past, in your past life, maybe 20 years ago, 50 years ago, some of you, you did some really bad stuff. And right now, you still feel that sin. And right now, there's a consequence. Maybe it's a family thing. I could be a myriad of things. You still have the consequence of that sin. It's very, very true that you know, we can't complain. We, we have to say, God, yes, I did it, and God, I deserve it all. But I, I also claim the blood of Christ, and I also have freedom, and I also have forgiveness. But yeah, I get it, and I still might be living the consequence of whatever I had done in the past. Proverbs 19, verse 3. Look at this verse. I, I got this verse for Barbara. She loves Proverbs. Proverbs 19, 3. The foolishness of a man twists his way, and his heart frets against the Lord. That's what a sinner does. Always twisting, conniving, trying to, trying to make it go away. That's, that's what the sinner does. That's exactly what Cain is doing. And now finally, God graciously puts a sign on Cain. He responds to Cain, oh, that's not fair. God is so gracious. I love this. Look at verse 14. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground, Cain says. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So he goes off and he, he's a vagabond now. He's just wandering around. Now, there's a lot that can be said even about this section here, but I love the fact that God puts a mark on him. Now, if you were a Mormon, you'd know what that mark is. I'm not going to mention it because it's just stupid. It's ridiculous. But Mormons believe there's a mark, and some men have that mark. I'll tell you, if you want to know, you'll have to come up and ask me. You, some of you know that, right? How many know what that mark is? Okay, there's a few. There's about 10 of us that know. It's, I don't, you know why I don't want to say it publicly, and I'll tell you later. Um, there's a lot of strange things said about the mark. I don't know what it is. I just know that God set him apart, and it was God's grace that said that, that saved his life, and now he's a vagabond. And we're going to see more about Canaanites and Cain, his name will go on. We'll see that as our study progresses. But here, let me just end by saying this. The way of Cain and this scripture helps us to understand sin is in the world now. And if it's not dealt with, if it's unrepentant sin, you're going to end up like Cain. We need to deal with sin quickly. We need to root it out. We need to pick the acorn up. We need to call the Hueys and the planes to... to flood the zone with spray, you know, not contrails, not, not that weird stuff. But the med fly is what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, we need to take care of sin rapidly, quickly. We need to deal with it right away. 
Or you can be like Cain. And I believe there are people like that. I don't think that any of you here tonight are that way. You're not, I, I believe that, that most of you have heard the gospel. You know, so you're not unrepentant. If, if you are like Cain, you're going to be unrepentant to the end. You're going to blame God. You're going to be angry at God. That's, that's the way of Cain. So don't let that happen to you, Christian. Deal with sin right now. If you don't know Christ, you can know Christ by putting your faith in him. For the believer tonight, the, the truth is, is that you have to deal radically and quickly with sin. Don't go the way of Cain. Amen? Father, thank you for the word tonight. And I, I know there's so many more truths in here that, that the believers here will uncover as your Holy Spirit leads them. But Lord, I pray that we as Christians would understand the depth of sin in the human heart. And from this firstborn, Cain, comes an unrepentant, uh, just a caustic, wicked one that never turned. And Lord, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to do work in the loved ones that we know that are unrepentant. Only you, Lord, can open their eyes and open their hearts to receive the gospel. And I pray that you would do that, soften hearts and work your work so that when, Lord, we enter a, a, a place where the gospel is shared, whether it be on the street or in a church or at a crusade, that that, that soil in their heart has been, has been turned over, that there's a softness there because of the work of the Holy Spirit and, and that there would be un. There, there would be repentance. There would be repentance. And Lord, for any Christians here tonight that, that are in a place of, of just being, uh, just their sin, they're unrepentant in some area. Lord, as you reveal that to them even now, Lord, that they would just repent of it and call it what you call it, sin. And that your grace and your mercy is available. Your atonement is there, Lord, that they would confess, as it says in 1 John 1, that if we'll confess our sin, that you'll forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, do that work tonight. And I just thank you for your word. Lord, bless these, your sheep. Cause them, Lord, to grow in your word and, and love your ways. And Lord, may our offering of worship and offering of service and, and our lives, Lord, be a sweet, sweet incense and a wonderful offering to you. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.